We'll begin in Acts chapter 5, starting in verse 12. When you're there, say, I choose to praise. All right, that's most everyone. Acts chapter 5, beginning in verse 12. Now many signs and wonders were done, were regularly done among the people by the hands of the apostles. And they were all together in Solomon's portico. None of the rest dared join them, but the people held them in high esteem. And more than ever, believers were added to the Lord, multitudes of both men and women, so that they even carried out the sick into the streets and laid them on cots and mats, that as Peter came by, at least his shadow might fall on some of them. The people also gathered from the towns around Jerusalem, bringing the sick and those afflicted with unclean spirits, and they were all healed. But the high priest rose up, and all who were with him, that is, the part of the Sadducees, and filled with jealousy, they arrested the apostles and put them in the public prison. But during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the prison doors and brought them out and said, Go and stand in the temple and speak to the people all the words of this life. And when they heard this, they entered the temple at daybreak and began to teach. Now when the high priest came and those who were with them, they called together the council, all the senate of the people of Israel, and sent to the prison to have them brought. But when the officers came, they did not find them in the prison. So they returned and reported, We found the prison securely locked and the guards standing at the doors. But when we opened them, we found no one inside. Now when the captain of the temple and the chief priests heard these words, they were greatly perplexed about them, wondering what this would come to. And someone came and told them, Look, the men whom you put in prison are standing in the temple and teaching the people. Then the captain with the officers went and brought them, but not by force, for they were afraid of being stoned by the people. And when they had brought them, they set them before the council, and the high priest questioned them, saying, We strictly charged you not to teach in this name. Yet here you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching, and you intend to bring this man's blood upon us. But Peter and the apostles answered, We must obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised Jesus, whom you killed by hanging him on a tree. God exalted him at his right hand as leader and savior to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are witnesses to these things, and so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey him. When they heard this, they were enraged and wanted to kill them. But a Pharisee in the council named Gamil, a teacher of the law, held in honor by all the people, stood up and gave orders to put the men outside for a little while. And he said to them, Men of Israel, take care what you are about to do with these men. For before these days, Thaddeus rose up claiming to be somebody, and a number of men, about 400, joined him. He was killed, and all who followed him were dispersed and came to nothing. After him, Judas the Galilean rose up in the days of the census and drew away some of the people after him. He too perished, and all who followed him were scattered. So in the present case, I tell you, 
Keep away from these men and let them alone. For if this plan or undertaking is of man, it will fail. But if it is of God, you will not be able to overthrow them. You might even be found opposing God. So they took his advice, and when they had called in the apostles, they beat them and charged them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. Then they left the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. And every day in the temple and from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching that Christ is Jesus. This is the word of the Lord. Well, guys, we're glad to have you this morning, and we're just going to dive right in. If it's your first time here, welcome. We're glad you're here. We normally teach through books of the Bible, and we are going through the New Testament book of Acts. And, man, I just love family worship Sundays because you get the message like twice. You get it with the kids, and then the text is read, and then we get it through their message. And I love it because it really locks it in our mind. Um, If it's your first time here and you haven't caught up on the series, one of the things that we want to lay before you is we provide a resource for you in the middle of the week um, via a podcast entitled The Rest of the Sermon. And what we do with that podcast is we dive into content and conversation that's a little bit deeper that we didn't have time for in the sermon. And what it is, is it's a great way for you to pick up on Wednesday and continue in God's Word. But one of the things we want to do is we want to answer some questions that you might have to help you better be a better Bible student. And so if you have a question that arises from the text or in the sermon, shoot us an email uh, at info at westsidepb.org and we would love to answer that in order to keep us engaged throughout the week. Just a little bit of review as to where we have been. What we've been seeing is we have been seeing the early church boldly proclaiming the gospel in the face of persecution. Luke um, is the author of the book of Acts, and this is the sequel to his biography of Jesus. And the biography of Jesus is the gospel of Luke. So maybe you didn't grow up in church, maybe you don't know about all of this stuff. There's four sort of biographies of Jesus, and it's Matthew, Mark, Luke, and then John. And so Luke writes about Jesus, but then he continues through the story of the, uh, of, of the church in the book of Acts. And we said that the book of Acts is sort of like our Ancestry.com, if you will. It's sort of our history and heritage of Christianity and the church. And in this section in the book of Acts, they have been facing much persecution. And actually, as we've seen um, in the text today, um, it's turned physical. That, that they're actually beaten um, for proclaiming the name of Jesus. But we've also seen that the early church last week confronted um, the internal hypocrisy with Ananias and Sapphira. So one of the things that Luke does is he says, hey, listen, the greatest threat to the church of Jesus Christ is not outside persecution. Actually, if you look back through the history of the church, there are two conditions that make the church grow, and that is poverty and persecution. Anytime that happens from the outside, the church actually unifies and grows on the inside. But we saw last week that the greatest threat to the church of Jesus Christ is internal hypocrisy. 
We said a hypocrite is somebody who pretends to be what they never intend to be. And so the apostles had to confront Ananias and Sapphira. And man, I don't know about you, but that was like a Godfather movie. I mean, that was like Michael Corleone stuff. When, when Peter says um, to Sapphira, the feet that carried your husband are at the door and they're going to carry you out as well. It was very, very intense. But the next thing that we're seeing um, this week is really a continuation that in Acts 5, the apostles are confronted, arrested, and beaten for continuing to proclaim Jesus as Lord. Um, all the way back in Acts chapter 3, the apostles healed a lame beggar. And it was one of the first miracles that we see. And it was such a big deal that the high council that we see in the text today, they're still mad about it. And, and actually, that's when they charged the disciples not to teach in the name of Jesus. It's really interesting, right? They didn't say, don't go around healing people, because nobody's mad about that. They're like, hey, they didn't say, hey, don't feed the hungry. They didn't do any of that. And, and we learned that the world loves the good works of Christianity, um, the hospitals, the orphanages, all of those things. The world loves the benefit of that. They love the good works, but they hate the good news. And the reason why is because the message of... Hey, listen, this is really good. Maybe you didn't grow up in church. This isn't even in my notes, and you just get what you pay for, okay? Listen, the message of Christianity is not don't do this, don't do that, don't do this, don't do that, and if you do that, God is out to get you. Hey, listen, we don't believe that. That's not the message of Christianity. The message of Christianity is the God that created the cosmos also created you. And you have a plan and purpose for your life. And the brokenness that is inside of you can be healed and transformed through the power of Jesus Christ and His love and His mercy and grace. And the evidence for that is Jesus lived the life we could not live, died the death that we deserved, and three days later that dude rose from the grave that's the good news of christianity that god is pursuing his broken creation but there's a little hint in these verses that luke shows us i mean there's constant opposition they're arrested they're beaten but the very last verse is a clue look at what luke says in the last verse and every day in the temple, and from house to house. Hey, by the way, um, this is actually our philosophy of ministry here at Westside. So um, we gather corporately on days like today and celebrate what God has done through the person of Jesus Christ and in our lives. And then we want to meet either around a table or in people's homes to live life together. They're continuing every day, and here it is. They did not cease teaching and preaching that the Christ is Jesus. I love that in the face of all of the opposition that Luke says, nothing could stop the church. I mean, really, there's, there's a word um, that summarizes this that I believe is sort of the big idea of the passage. And, and the word is this, perseverance. That's what I see when I read that verse. When, when, when I see that in the midst of jail, in the midst of their lives being threatened, that they continually 
persevered. Um, The Oxford English Dictionary defines perseverance as the quality of continuing to try to achieve a particular aim despite difficulties. Perseverance. It's relentlessness. It's, um, It's not just endurance. Well, this is how Oswald Chambers defines it, and I think this is really good. Perseverance is more than endurance. It is endurance combined with absolute assurance and certainty that what we are looking for is going to happen. That's perseverance. You see, the disciples had been given a promise by Jesus and, and, and literally, we know this promise. Jesus told us this promise in Matthew chapter 16. And I will tell you, you are Peter. And on this rock, I will build my church. We learned about that word last week. The church is a gathering of the called out people of God. And the, are you ready for this? This is such a good part for an amen for you. You're in the sermon now. Okay, you ready for this? And the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Amen. That is a promise of what Jesus is saying. What I am building, the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And by the way, this this is an offensive statement. This is not a defensive statement. A lot of times when people read the verse like this, they go, oh yeah, the church is standing there and we're holding our ground and the enemy is coming at us, but we will persevere. No, 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 no. It's just the opposite. That the kingdom of God is advancing and that the kingdom of God, the kingdom of light is storming into dark places and nothing will stop the expansion of the kingdom of God. That it's an offensive statement. But why is it so important to understand this idea about perseverance? Because because what I believe that we're seeing now is we're sort of almost seeing a pattern with the early church. And the reason why I believe that it's so important to know about perseverance and to know about the promises um, is to know what to expect. And, and, And why are expectations so important? Well, listen, expectations are everything, right? I mean, when you enter into a dating relationship, like, like maybe you're looking to get married, you know, and you're an Adam trying to find your Eve, or you're an Eve trying to find an Adam, and you're like, hey, you know, are you crazy? Is your mom crazy? Like all of that, right? You want to know, expect, that's what premarital counseling is. It's expectations of knowing what that is. But why is that so important? Um, it's so important because our expectations affect our experience. That's why it's important. So um, if somebody says, oh, you've got to eat this restaurant. It's so incredible. They have such good food. You have an expectation that when you go into that restaurant, the food is going to be so great and awesome, and you're going to tell everybody. But if somebody says, oh, oh, don't go to that restaurant, the, the sir and the food and all of that, and then you still go to that restaurant, you have expectations as to how that's going to go. Um, Jesus actually taught this principle with his disciples. You see, Jesus wanted to have clear expectations of those who would follow him. And in John chapter 16, he says this, I have said all of these things to you, here it is, to keep you from falling away. 
translation, I want you to persevere. Um, you know, one of the things that, that I had a false expectation about when I got into this church thing and then started getting into leadership is um, I, thought, I thought everybody that signed up was in it for the long haul. I thought every time somebody said good sermon or I like this or I like that, that they were never, ever going to go anywhere, right? Now, that might be life experiences or anything like that, but let me tell you something. A lot of people start, but not a lot of people finish. And the more and more I walk with Jesus and the more and more I read the scriptures, I see Jesus' heart for endurance, for perseverance. He says, I'm telling you these things so you don't fall away. They will put you out of the synagogues. Indeed, the hour is coming when whoever kills you will think he is offering a service to God. And they will do these things because they have not known the Father nor me. But I have said these things to you that when their hour comes, here it is, you may remember that I told them to you. Translation, when it happens, you're not going to get caught off guard that you have proper expectations, that when you're following me and you begin to experience suffering or opposition, that it doesn't knock you off the track, but rather you're ready to persevere. Jesus knows that our expectations affect our experience. So what's the big idea today? What's the thing that could slide into your DMs? And I think it's this. Our expectations, in order for us to experience perseverance, listen, that's the goal. That's the big idea of the sermon. I want you to leave today to have hope to know that you can persevere. But in order to do that, you need clear expectations as to what it's like to follow Jesus. And so as I look at these verses from verse 12 to 42... I believe there's a few words that we can use to help us with our expectations. Now, I'm going to give them to you up front, and then the important thing is, is that you see them in your Bible. It has nothing to do with what I say, but you should see it in the Scriptures. So if, if we have an expectation to follow Jesus, what is that expectation? And I think this is what the pattern of perseverance looks like. Um, it starts with this, our obedience. It always starts with that. that. That Jesus has said some things. That he's promised some things. And that he's put the ball in our court. That he's given us his word. That he's given us his Holy Spirit. And now what we do in faith is we step out in the act of obedience. But after obedience, always comes Satan's opposition. You need to be ready for that. That please listen to me. Where the kingdom of God advances, the kingdom of darkness attacks. That's why some of you are trying to get your family in order. And what you're saying is, you know what? These generational chains and these generational sins of addiction and divorce and all of that, that's not happening anymore with our family. We are ending that now. And the moment you declare that as a family and you come under the banner of God's word, all hell breaks loose. 
And you're like, good, what in the world is going on? I thought I was pursuing a good thing. Please, let me cheer you on. You are doing a good thing, and don't stop. And the reason why, man, this is so good, I might even preach with no notes today. Okay, listen. The reason why you are experiencing that is because you matter, and because you are on the path of God's will, and you want to be a husband who loves his wife like Christ loves the church, and you want to be a woman who submits to her husband like Christ did to the Father, and you experience that opposition, but you are experiencing that opposition because you have innate value, and you are doing something good. So when we step out in obedience, Satan always attacks with opposition. But the third thing that I see is this. I always see a divine orchestration. I mean, right when we're getting attacked, what we say is, I don't know what else to do. I'm doing what you told me to do, Jesus, and there's nothing but opposition in my life. That's when God always comes through. That's when you go to the mailbox after committing as a family to tithe and to give, and you go, man, our budget's stretched. I don't know what's going on. That's when you go to the mailbox and somebody says, hey, I've been meaning to send you this. I love you. I care for you. Sorry it's taken me so long, but here's a gift. And then you just are crying right there at the mailbox at the road. You're like, or something awful happens, and then a church gathers around you. That's when God comes through and makes a way when there is no way. It's divine orchestration, but it's not just for you. You see, it leads to this, always a gospel opportunity. The reason why God came through in just the nick of time or sends an angel in the middle of the night is not so you can just go, ooh, that was cool. God got me out of that. God gave me this just in the nick of time. No, no, no. It's never for just that. It's always for an opportunity for the gospel to continue to advance and march on, which then ends with God's outcome. Verse 42, that it continued day to day. Listen, this is so important. If you have expectations to follow Jesus, this is what you need to align your expectations with. If you are going to persevere, if you're not just going to start, but if you're going to finish, you need to know this. This is the biblical pattern, but um, I think we have different expectations, right? Um. I think this is what um, our expectations for perseverance look like. Obedience, and then God's outcome. Right? You're just like, I mean, we came to church, and, you know, I, I got baptized, and I'm, I'm, like, reading the Bible now, and so, like, it should be sunshine and rainbows and a Skittles commercial. Like, all of that should be great. We should just cut out that middle stuff. Um, hey, that would be awesome. <laughs> that would be great. But the reality is, is that it's a process. And please don't miss this. The process is the point. You see, I think oftentimes we just want to arrive, whether it's debt or whether it's family conflict or no matter what it is, you just want to arrive. You just want to check the box and go, that's not what it used to be anymore. But you see, God is really concerned about the gap here. You know why? Because God uses the gap 
to form us and to mold us and to shape us. Um, James, Jesus' half-brother, one of the apostles, actually says this in the New Testament. Count it all a joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. Really? Really? Okay. Why? Verse 3. For because you know that the testing of your faith, here it is, produces steadfast, uh, steadfastness. Hupomene is the word. It means staying power. It means when the pressure is on you, that the pressure literally makes you stronger and makes you better. Because let it have its full effect. Don't try to bail on the process. Don't try to go from A all the way down to E. You've got to stay in the process because you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. So listen, if we're going to persevere, and I believe that we can by the very grace of God, if that's going to happen, we need to have clear expectations. And we know what those are. So let's look at them and walk them through the text. The first one we said was this, our obedience. That's verses 12 through 16. I mean, there's some cool stuff happening here. Peter is so anointed by the Holy Spirit that his shadow, like as he's walking through the streets, Peter's shadow lands on people and they're healed. That's incredible. But do you know what the key word in it is? Verse 15. So that even they carried out the sick into the streets. It's street ministry. The apostles knew we have to go where the people are. We have to go where the people are. And so they're going outside of the temple and they're stepping out in obedience, as Jesus says, make disciples of all nations. But what's interesting is, look in verse 14 in your Bible. It says this, And more than ever, believers were added to the Lord, multitudes of both men and women. Hey, ladies, this is really cool. In the book of Acts, that's the first time, apart from the women disciples, that women are mentioned as converts now what's happening in the spread of Christianity. That's what made it so incredible was the all-inclusive message in light of that. We love verse 14. God added to their number. But do you know the verses that came before that? We studied them last week. It was the tragedy with Ananias and Sapphira. Listen, there is no verse 14 without verses 1 through 11. There is no fruit of ministry unless those disciples step out in the act of obedience and do some difficult things. What we want is we want God to either show us the outcome or automatically transpose us to the outcome before obedience. And then what we do is we do the negotiation thing with God. You ever done that before? You ever negotiated with God? Yeah, yeah. How's that going? Right? God's like undefeated in negotiations, okay? And what we say is, God, I'll step out in obedience. God, I'll totally... I will, my dating life, my, I'm, I will live this way if you will show me blank. But the reality is this, and here's the sentence. You will not go where God wants you to go until you first do what God has called you to do. Please listen. We say this all the time. The answer 
that you need right now in your life is on the other side of faith and obedience, not before. That's not how God operates. That's why it's called faith. And do you know why he operates that way? So you are completely and totally dependent upon him in the process. So you're leaning, 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 right? I'm going to leave that to them. Okay, right? Um, So we lean on him for that in that process. So it starts with our obedience. And then the second thing is this. Satan's opposition. Look in verse 17. Like, actually jump up to verse 16. It's incredible. The people also gathered from the various towns around Jerusalem, bringing the sick and those afflicted with unclean spirits. And they were all healed. But then look at how verse 17 starts. What's that word in your Bible? It's okay, you can say it out loud. It's just you're just reading the Bible. What, what's the first word in verse 17? Uh-oh, a contrasting idea. Boop, this is going this way, but now this is happening. Look at what it says. The high priests rose up, and all who were with him, that is, the party of the Sadducees. Now, what Luke is doing is he's giving us historical context. There were two main ruling parties in the day of Jesus, apart from the Roman government. It was the Pharisees, which were considered the conservative Old Testament bunch, and then the Sadducees. And the Sadducees in the high council were about 62 members. And there was this muddy, there wasn't really like a separation of church and state. Rome ruled the place, but the Jewish religion was the predominant religion, so they knew we have to have an end with this or the people are going to revolt. So they used the Sadducee party. Now, the Sadducees, um, they didn't believe in a resurrection, and I grew up in Sunday school going, the Sadducees didn't believe in the resurrection, so they were sad, you see Right? Some of you guys grew up with that. That's, that's good stuff, okay? That's good stuff. But he's giving us some context, and it says this. Why were the Sadducees angry? It tells us right there in verse 17. You're looking at your Bible. They were filled with jealousy. You know why? Because when they were holding their church service, um, it wasn't as big as the apostles' church service. And all the crowds and all the momentum and everything was going over there. And um, can I just share something with you real quick? Um, when God uses somebody and puts somebody either in a position of leadership, in your home, at your workplace, God gives you resources. God, God resources you. And, and actually, this is what God gives his people um, to supply them to persevere. It's three things, really. It's um, an anointing. And then the second thing is this, he gives them resources. And then the third thing is this, he gives them influence. We see that in the apostles, that Jesus anoints them, gives them power, man. And then he gives them resources that people were selling their possessions and laying it at the apostles' feet to supply this movement. And then there's influence, that they didn't have to coerce that, they didn't have to do any of that, that the people respected the apostles, Um, This is an original with me. I had another pastor teach this and share this with me. And when he said this, it was so profound. This is how the spirit operates with somebody who is in a position of leadership. But the people who are not operating in the spirit operate in the flesh is what the Bible calls it. 
they don't see these three things. When they look at somebody who's in a position and they see this, they see these other things. They don't see anointing, they see respect. They don't see resources, they see money. They don't see influence, they see power. And what they say is, I want that. And what we will do is we will upsert their authority to get the respect, to get the money, and to get the power. And that is the main opposition that we see is what happens to the apostles. So listen, you need to know the attack that's happening on your life is because God has given you these things. But from whom that attack is coming from, they don't see these things. They see these things and that's what they desire. Case study number one, Judas. Judas saw these things in Jesus' ministry and that's what he wanted. And so think about it. The apostles step out in obedience and they get attacked. There's adversity. And oftentimes... When that happens to us, and especially if you're somebody who walks in insecurities in their life, hello, team insecurities right here, woo right? When that starts to happen, you begin to second-guess yourself. Maybe God didn't call me to this. Maybe I've done something wrong. Oh, no. Um, what, if, what if adversity is oftentimes God's stamp of approval? You see, um, what we would like is, is that prosperity would be God's stamp of approval. Health, wealth, things going well, and all of that. And God does use those things. But most often what I see is that when adversity is happening, that is a sheer sign that you are on the right path. It's our obedience, it's Satan's opposition, and then the next thing is this. It's the divine orchestration. They were filled with jealousy. And then verse 18, they arrested the apostles and put them in public prison. Now here it is, verse 19. What's the first word in verse 19? Now, another comparing and contrasting idea. Things were going well, obedience, but Satan's opposition. So there's attacking but now we've got a new idea because God's coming through. But during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the doors and brought them out and said, well, we'll get to what he says in just a second. You know what's really, really funny? Really funny. Um, the Sadducees not only didn't believe in resurrection, they didn't believe in anything really supernatural. And one of their tenets was they didn't believe in angels. <laughs> this is so great. This is, God, this is like sarcasm. Like, I believe God might have the gift of sarcasm. I don't know. But what God is like is like, hey, I'm going to orchestrate some stuff to happen, and it's going to be so opposite. It's going to be so opposite of what the people could ever imagine that it's only going to prove that it was absolutely from God. But notice, when did the angel come? At night. Because please listen, and, and for some of you, this is why you came to church today. God is never late. God is never late. He's always on time. And maybe you are in a cell or a prison that you can relate to. 
Maybe it's conflict, maybe it's suffering, I don't know what it is, but your desire is to get out of where you are at and you feel like God is late and he's not coming through. Please, I'm telling you with everything that God has given to me, please do not give up because God is always on time. God is always on time. And by the way, this is a fulfillment of scripture. Psalm 34 verse 7 says this, The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and delivers them. God comes through a divine orchestration. They couldn't do it on their own. And God comes through, sends an angel. But notice, look at what the angel says in verse 20. There's three words I want you to underline in your neighbor's Bible to make sure they're awake. Okay, verse 20. Go, underline that. Go and stand underline that, in the temple, and speak, underline that. The people, all the words of life, underline life. Go, stand, speak, life. Hey, listen, I'm trying to get a point across. Go, stand, speak, life. When I don't know what to do or say, I can always pray. And See, it's no different. We just have mortgages. We need to learn the same thing that they learn, okay? Go, stand, speak, life. Why is that so important? Because do you know how many of us would be satisfied with just the angel? You see, a lot of times we read that and we think the angel rescuing them is the point That's not the point. This is what we learned in Acts. That signs and miracles are a doorway to the message of the gospel. The angel delivering them out of prison at night is bar none a miracle. It's incredible. But please listen to me. The greatest miracle is the message of the gospel. That's the greatest miracle. And the angel literally says, go and speak the words of life. Did you know that in the book of 1 Peter, that Peter says that angels long to look into the gospel that we proclaim? That angels think the gospel's incredible. How reversed is that for us? We think we're so interested in something supernatural like that, that the gospel gets us from there to there. But no, no, no. They're saying it's the message that's the miracle. Please do not miss the divine orchestration which leads to this, the last, next to last thing, the gospel opportunity. The gospel opportunity. Um, they stand and they speak, and they're threatened. And then look at verse 28. Saying, um, the, the council strictly charged you not to preach, there it is, in the name, yet here you are, and, and look, I, uh, I underline verse 28 in my Bible, and instead of Jerusalem, I wrote in the margin, Popper Bluff. Yet here you have filled Popper Bluff with your teaching. Maybe you need to write your last name, your home. And you intended to bring this man's blood upon us, and then here it is, verse 29. But, but, Peter said, and the apostles answered, 
We must obey God rather than man. And then here it goes. Let it fly, Peter. The God of our fathers raised Jesus, whom you killed, hanging Him on a tree. And God exalted Him at His right hand as leader and Savior to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are witnesses. Fulfillment of chapter 1, verse 8, when Jesus said, you would be my witnesses to these things. And so is the Holy Spirit whom God God is given to those who obey him. You know what's interesting? Look at the word that Peter describes Jesus as. It's right there in verse 30. The God of our fathers raised Jesus, whom you killed by hanging him on a tree. I'm sorry, verse 31. God exalted him in his right hand as leader and savior. Interesting. That caught my eye this week. Um, the word leader in the original language is archagos. It's only used four times in the Bible. And do you know what actually the literal transliteration of it is? Not so much leader. Hero. Hero's the word. Peter says Jesus is the hero of our faith. Um, Hebrews would go on to say this, look to Jesus, the founder or hero and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Why am I bringing this up? Why is this important? Please, please don't miss this. Their life is on the line. They are literally, they don't know if they're going to die if they give a response. But Peter says, Jesus is our hero. And, and this verse in Hebrews says that Jesus is our hero and Jesus laid down his life. Listen, here's what I'm trying to say. You will never lay down your life if you're the hero of your life. If it all depends on you, then you can't surrender those babies. You see, if it all depends on you, you can't surrender that relationship unto God. If it all depends on you, every move you make will be about self-preservation. So when you're around a table with a group of ladies or a group of men, you can't be honest. You have to be the hero. You have to be composed. And yeah, 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 I know this, and I'm the one always giving advice. Because you can't lay down your life because it depends on you. But the moment you surrender your life unto Jesus Christ, you are free, my friends. You see, total freedom is not given in total autonomy. Total freedom is given unto the submission of Jesus Christ. It's a gospel opportunity, which leads us to the last thing. God's outcome. And then there's fruit. I love what Gamaliel says, right? Gamaliel looks back upon Jewish history and says, hey, wait, guys, wait. If these guys are like everybody else who's tried to do the protest, and like, remember guys, we've all seen marches, and we've all seen the picket signs, and remember this guy, and remember this guy. He says, listen, if they're doing their own thing, this will fade and crumble. But if God's really involved in it, oh, I love it. You can't stop it. They will persevere. And in the end, you will be fighting against God. Listen, that should give us hope to know that God's outcome is what he promised. 
Um, in closing, before we get to some application points, as I was thinking about perseverance this week, I told you last weekend, um, I've been really encouraged looking back upon church history and learning about men and women who have persevered and done mighty things for God. I shared with you, I was reading a biography about John Wesley, the founder of Methodism. And, and I promise you, this will be the last John Wesley illustration, okay? It's just what I'm reading right now. But if there's ever a man who persevered in the gospel, it was John Wesley. Because you see, John Wesley preached outside of the church walls. Well, back then in the 1700s, that was illegal. You couldn't do that. There was no separation of church and state in England at the time. And so as he began to preach outside the walls, he was arrested. There was opposition. Listen to John Wesley's journal entries from that time. Sunday, May 5th, preached in St. Anne's. After the sermon, I was asked not to come back anymore. Sunday p.m., May 5th, I preached in St. John's. The deacons had a meeting and yelled at me to get out and stay out. Sunday a.m., May 12th, preached in St. Jude's. I can't go back there either. Sunday a.m., May 19th, preached in St. Somebody's Church, and the deacons called a special meeting and said I couldn't return. Sunday p.m., May 19th, I preached on the street and was kicked off the street and assaulted. Sunday a.m., May 26th, I preached in a meadow, but I was chased out of the meadow as somebody let a bull loose and turned it loose during the service trampling people. Sunday a.m., June 2nd, preached out on the edge of town and was physically kicked off the highway. Sunday p.m., June 2nd. In the afternoon, I preached in a pasture. And 10,000 people came out to hear me. When I read that, I think, what if on June 2nd that morning he had quit? There would have been no 10,000 in the pasture. But he knew something. He had clear expectations. He knew about the opposition. He knew about the opportunities. He knew about his obedience. He knew about the orchestration, but he knew that God would have the outcome. So in closing, I have some questions for you, and it's this. The first one is this. Where are you on the pattern of perseverance? You need to know where you are. Maybe you're like, I need to step out in obedience. Maybe you're in a season of opposition. Maybe right now you're praying and asking God for that orchestration. Or maybe right now that orchestration's happened and you need to open your lips and declare the gospel opportunity. Where are you at? The second thing is this. What false expectations do you have in following Jesus? When you look at that pattern and you go, man, I never thought it would be like that following Jesus. We have to clarify those. The third thing is this, what's the Spirit saying to you today? Through the power of God's Word, through the power of His Spirit, what is He saying to you? And then don't miss this, what are you going to do about it? Because the answer is on the other side of faith. 
Father God, we come before you today so grateful for your word, so grateful to clarify our expectations. God, I believe as I pray in faith right now that there is somebody in this room today who came in and said, this is my last shot, man. I'm coming today because I didn't have any other plans, but I am in the thick of it. I have stepped out in obedience. There's been so much suffering. There's been death. There's been opposition. And I am weary and I am exalted. And and, and God, they feel like John Wesley in that moment, like they're ready to throw in the towel. But God, I pray through the power of your spirit that they would hear from the throne room of heaven, do not quit. Don't give up on praying for that prodigal child. Don't give up on that marriage. Don't give up on that relationship. Don't give up on serving in the church. Don't give up on honoring God with your finances. Holy Spirit, comfort us and compel us in that perseverance. Comfort those who need comforting today. But oh God, convict those who need convicting and compel us forward. And may we stand on the truth and the promise of what Gamaliel said. If you're in it, nothing can stop it. Nothing can stop it. We pray this all in the mighty, in our hero's name, in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Westside, would you stand to your feet?